This is episode number 101 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Kyle Harris. Kyle is a pitching hitting instructor at Bob Harris Baseball School in Ohio. He is also an elementary PE teacher, and he brings a a unique perspective to the game of baseball because of of what he does for a living. And I think it's unique and and very cool um, that he's not someone who who is full-time in baseball. So he can kind of look at it from a different lens. He's someone who I've talked to for over the past year online, and I've he's really helped me out, and I've really taken a lot of his information and applied it to help my own players. So um, if you guys haven't already, please, please, please head on over to iTunes and just rate and leave a review. It really helps the overall rating of the show, and um, I would appreciate it. So again, without further ado, here is Kyle Harris. All right, we are now live with Kyle Harris. Kyle, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you have a really, really cool uh, cool background. It's a little bit different than kind of like some other, other people who we've had on, whether they're just solely full-time in baseball. Um, you are actually a teacher as well. Um, if you could give everyone just a little bit of, of just kind of who you are and, and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, I will. Um, so I teach. I teach elementary phys ed. Uh, this is my 17th year teaching. I've run the gamut. I've taught high school and middle school as well. Um, I just uh, started out loving sports as a kid. I wasn't a real big kid. I mean, I'm not big now. I'm 5'7 now. So growing up, I was kind of small. Um, and playing Little League, I wasn't very good the first year. So I went out. My dad worked with me. Um, got pretty good. You know, was the probably the cream of the crop or pitching in the league and moved on up and every every time I moved up a level I just wasn't quite good enough and I just had to do a lot of work so uh my dad you know did, did his due diligence he was a great father um and did everything he could to help me and you know long story short eventually I made my way to college played college ball had a decent career there at a small school on northwest Ohio um my freshman year actually I went to a school Baldwin Wallace, um, actually where Kyle Bodie went to for a year. And, um, basically I, I was a little overweight at the time and the coach basically told me I was too slow, um, too much, too overweight to play. Um, so I dug myself in the uh, library and just researched everything I could on training and nutrition. And when I went home that summer, I just, just worked my tail off. And, um, it, it's a pretty cool story. I think I went from, about 190 pounds to about 160 pounds in one summer and went from about a 7.6 60-yard dash to about a 6.8. And then I transferred to a different school and I was running like a 4.640. And I was hooked on training and nutrition for life and had a good three-year career at that school. And um, afterwards, started teaching, got to coach some re- at some really cool high schools, um, was on a staff that won a uh, state championship and um, a couple years down the road uh, a job opened in my hometown so uh, my wife and I we moved back to the hometown and my dad had started a baseball school kind of out of accident because he'd he'd done a good job with me and people just asked him to work with their kids and word spread um, and uh, so I came back coached high school at my alma mater for about six years and a few years ago I decided it was time to give it up and just dive in and help dad out and that's kind of what I've been doing. 
So, so full. So, when you're not teaching, do you normally just go to the facility right after school, pretty much every day? Yeah, Monday through Thursday. Um, I'm usually right now, especially before high school season, I'm there from about four to eight, and then Saturdays, um, I'm there as often as I can be. And then when I if I need to be there on Friday and Sunday, I'll I'll go there too. Uh, we've got about six or seven part-time instructors um, that work there, so we kind of balance that. And I'm pretty much the guy that works with the the high school kids and I work with almost all the pitchers, but I do a lot of the high school hitting. Um, I do most of the data collection and then, um, we've got some collegiate kids that come in and train when they're home too, as well. And I pretty much, I work with most of them. My dad has a couple of their, the hitters that are in college just cause he's worked for them since they were, they were little. So they like working with him, but yeah, I'm there. Um, my dad's there probably, I don't know. He's probably there four or five hours a night, every night, and then two to four hours on the weekends as well. Um, what, uh, my next question is, is how big is the place and what's the setup like for training? Uh, as far as like square footage, yeah, square footage. And then I guess the follow-up would be like, is it an hourly lesson model or. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, we are about 70 foot long by about 40 foot wide. Um, we have two, two cages with a, a dirt mound that actually we got the, uh, we got the same mound clay that was used at the original Jacobs field when it was opened in 1994. And that's, we still actually have a bucket of that. We used to fix the mound, which is pretty cool. Um, and then we have, we do mostly one-on-one lessons. Uh, we, we've started with the lesson model, but my, my passion other than baseball is, you know, resistance training. Um, I was a competitive bodybuilder for about a decade and I'm just really into that aspect of it. And, about a year ago, I started finally doing, my dream was to do integrated sports training. So I finally started doing more group training about a year ago, and that's really taken off. So I kind of handle a lot of the group training stuff right now. Um, and we do, you know, my my passion and my, my mindset and goal is to try to take, you know, as many different training modalities as possible and differentiate it for what a individual kid needs. So they go through typical assessment with me and then we figure out what do they need to work on um, if it's more mechanical type issues then we may refer them to a lesson if it's more strength issues then they'll come in a strength group um, if they need more skill work then we'll put them in uh, a hitting block or a pitching block and they'll go with that group yeah i'm glad you brought up the, the group training uh point i know you, you you had a little thread on on twitter about how you really like the, the group i um uh, part of it i think a big part of it is just teaching the parents that because for a lot of them it doesn't that doesn't really make sense yeah it it's a hard sell sometimes but you know coming from a motor skill background as a phys ed teacher it's just frequency is very very important especially for kids that are young you know we're talking you know anywhere from k to even through high school and even adults i mean we need things done frequently the more times we do it the better and, you know, an hour lesson can, it definitely has its place. And I still think it offers tremendous value, but when I can get a kid in there in a competitive environment and I can maybe, maybe they're getting, you know, only a hundred swings instead of 250, but those are a high quality hundred swings. And I think the crossover with motor skills is just a lot better when we're getting them in two and three times. And we actually offer um, an open gym on Saturdays where kids can come in an extra time and, and our rates are stupid low. So kids can come train, you know, three, four times a week. And it, it's very affordable for the parents. And I, I've really noticed in the last year some huge jumps uh, in, in progress with kids, especially since we've implemented more um, 
data type stuff and more technology and and we're trying to log a lot more information on kids and it's just seemed like it really has picked up once we went to that group training and offered that yeah and i like it just from the fact that you know the game is just it's based off of off of pressure i mean you're gonna have peer pressure you know during the game you're gonna have people you know it's gonna be uncomfortable at times so why not train in a group format that's similar to the game? And I think Driveline has probably done the, you know, the best job of, uh, that I've seen so far um, of doing that. Yeah, that I mean, to do something like Driveline's doing would be absolutely amazing. That I would love to do that. Um, I try to create that a little bit, and some of my I got a high school pitching group right now that's awesome. Um, the kids just push each other. They work hard. They're in there. Um, doing their thing. And, and a lot of them are kids that actually took lessons with me for three, four years. So there's not a whole lot of mechanical cueing that needs to be done. So we can kind of get down to the nitty gritty and, and work with some stuff with them. Um, it's funny you mentioned driveline because when I moved back to my hometown in 2006 or seven, um, I had, I had the opportunity to take a graduate class about two, three years earlier from a guy named Dr. David Stodden in Bowling Green State University. And he did some work with some major league teams with pitchers, and I really picked his brain a lot. And he had pointed me to a lot of research on stuff. And when I got back to Clyde, I think it was 2007, I was really into trying to get our our pitching staff to do um, high-volume upper body plyometrics. You know, we were doing a lot of reverse throws, external rotation throws, some internal rotation throws, just some low-level type stuff that um, at the time, I I remember reading stuff from Kyle Bodie um, I don't know if it was right around the same time, but it, it just, I'd first read him and I was like, Oh, this is kind of intriguing. And then as, as it went on, they kind of just took that to the next level. And so when I saw that it, it made me feel really good that I was kind of on the right track a few years prior to that, but they've just taken it to another level. And I'm just, I'm fascinated with what they do. I'm fascinated with their culture. I'm fascinated with their research. And, and we try to put a little bit of what they do into what, you know, our kids can handle. Obviously we're not getting Trevor Bowers and, Casey Weathers and things like that, but we're getting kids that, that are willing to put the work in. So we're able to do some of that stuff and get a lot of, get a lot of progress from them. And, and for everyone who's listening, um, you're, you're in Ohio, uh, give the, give the exact location of where you're at. We are in Green Springs, Ohio. Uh, it's a small village. Um, very, we're next to Clyde, Ohio is the next town over. And it's about 25 miles from, uh, Sandusky, Ohio, where Cedar Point's located right between Toledo and Cleveland. Yep, I exactly know. I know. I know. Kind of where you're at in in general, but um, you putting out some really good content lately, and I really liked what you um, were talking about in terms of self organization and and dealing with that in practice. Could you talk a little bit about that and your your beliefs on self organization? Yeah, um, I'm a, I'm a believer in self organization. I think probably six months to a year ago when I really started getting up onto Twitter, um, and finding some good quality content, people to follow. Some of the people were really all about like just self-organizing, self-organizing, and it, they're almost taking it too far, but I think self-organizing is great. Um, we've got to let kids kind of find their own kinesthetic feel. And I think the more we move into a society where everything is, um, everything's done on a computer or a phone or a tablet, we've got to give kids opportunities to kind of discover how they move. And, and we don't do that. And I think we've gotten so consumed as coaches that, you know, in general, I'm speaking, I know there's a lot that don't, but 
there's a lot of coaches that are just over cueing everything. It's just internal cue after internal cue. And coming from my standpoint, I think that was one of the um, things that really hurt me as a ball player is we had a golf pro that actually worked for my dad when I was in college. And he would tell me that I played baseball swing, not baseball, because I was constantly trying to have the perfect swing instead of just adapting to the ball or the pitch and just letting that barrel find the ball. And when we're constantly cueing kids, we, we don't let them find their natural kind of kinesthetic sense and kinesthetic feel. Now, there's a give and take with that where you have to balance. You know, some kids need that. Some kids just aren't naturally good self-organizers. And I, I feel very blessed being an elementary phys ed teacher because I see 650 kids on a weekly basis that run the gamut from the inability to self-organize at all to a kid that all you got to do is show them or tell them what the outcome is and they can self-organize almost immediately. So as a coach, we have to differentiate and figure out what kid needs more self-organization type activities and what kids might need a little bit more cueing. And then from there we can use, you know, a constraints led approach. We can, we can use different manipulatives. Um, you know, we can just get creative from there, but it, it takes a lot of, I think, experience from a coaching standpoint and a lot of observation to figure out what kids are good kinesthetic movers and what kids may need a little bit more cueing. So it's a case by case scenario. I, I really strongly believe that, um, you know, and being in teaching, we constantly hear that we have to differentiate for our, our teachers and a lot of coaches are great at differentiating, but a lot of coaches don't, I think, don't differentiate enough for individual players. And in baseball, when you have a roster of 12, 15, and you might have two, three, four, five coaches, you know, we're in a great situation as baseball coaches, whether we're instructors or team coaches, where we have an opportunity where we could actually really differentiate for a kid's need. Yeah, I like that. I, like, I really like that approach, too. Now, you, you, you are a PE teacher. Um, you said you've done um, kind of all different levels, correct? You said you've done high school as well. I'm curious as to why um, you'd want to do you, – you are now back in elementary. Uh, so when I started, I was – I taught kindergarten PE, I taught, and I taught sophomore PE with an elective class my first year. And then I did elementary. When the job opened in my hometown – I went to high school and then we had some uh, budget cuts two, three years in a row and they just kept cutting teachers positions. Luckily, the two elementary PE teachers in our district retired. So when they retired, instead of me losing my job, I kind of consolidated into two jobs into one. So I taught elementary PE at two different schools, um, traveled back and forth, saw about 1,200 kids on a weekly basis and saw them once a week. And then... Um, as we got some more money that came in, some more funding, they hired another elementary PE teacher. And when the high school job opened, I just kind of, my kids went to the school I taught at. So I just, it kind of was the perfect situation for our family. So um, I'd kind of adapted out of the coaching high school baseball and helping my dad. So it just, I just kind of stuck with elementary. It was just kind of a comfortable situation. And I'm literally probably a third of a mile where the school I teach at is about a third of the mile from where my dad's baseball school is. So on a nice day, I could, I could walk it in 10 minutes. Oh, that's perfect. Beautiful. When, when you're, when you're watching young kids, um, kind of going back to self-organization, um, I was reading the other day about how it's very different when you're working with a, a young player, you know, 10 to 14 years old and just having them self-organized, just doing by doing it by putting a ball in a pitching machine versus kind of 
having a college player and how that's a really hard, can be really, really tough to kind of, you know, rewire the nervous system and everything like that. When you work with a, like a college player, for example, um, what's your process? Like how would you try and make changes to their swing if they need to make changes? Um, I, you know, I keep it relatively simple at the beginning. I just had a girl from Texas that, um, came and worked with me in the summer when she was home, she goes to school in Texas. And then in the winter she worked with me and, and we had to really change a lot of her patterns. Um, cause she would really, really, she really loaded up on that backside and she would really kind of chop down. It was almost looked like the old Charlie Lau method. And, um, with her just honestly, it was a lot of, we, we kind of didn't do a whole lot of self-organization. We broke it down into, we chunked it. I don't know if you've read the book, uh, the talent code, yep. but they talk about how, you know, those hotbeds of talent break things down into chunking. And that's kind of what we did. We would chunk it into different things. We did a lot of preloading swings where we weren't, we were doing no load because I wanted her to feel how to turn the barrel instead of entering the zone steeply we would just do a lot of that sometimes we'd break it down even into one-handed stuff um and then we just when she would get a a technique or a change i was trying to get her to do then we would kind of bring it back to the whole swing and then i would i would do a little bit of more self-discovery we'd do maybe some front toss or put her on the machine and and we we'd used a lot of video we used a lot of bat tracking to see all right are you able to maintain that attack angle we're getting on the tee and if she was then we would attack another aspect that needed to be changed and if she wasn't then we knew we kind of had to backtrack into a, a less dynamic situation, something we had a little bit more control over. Um, so if you're trying to make changes in an athlete that's had it for, you know, five, 10 years, that's very strong, like a collegiate athlete, I think sometimes you have to break it down and you have to take out that dynamic situation. You have to take out, take them away from that reactionary period and, and just kind of rework how the body moves. And then when that body starts moving, then, you know, you increase the difficulty from, a T to side flips to front flips to a machine and, and hopefully those things stick. And if they don't, then you just kind of have to rework it and figure things out backwards again. It's basically like reverse engineering. What do you think about, um, using the machine? I, you know, when you're, when you're in Ohio or Cincinnati and it's winter, I, I think it's great. I think machines are great. I went through a period of time where I really didn't like the machine um, because kids would struggle on it. But then I thought to myself, you know, it, it, I, I really don't care if the kid struggles cause they need to struggle. Why am I trying to make them feel good when they're going to be playing a game where there's going to be kids, you know, whether the kid's throwing 70 or 95, there's a, there, there's some kind of, there's a gap there where you're going to struggle and the kids need to feel that. And, um, I, you know, this time of year is when we kind of start cranking that machine up and we get them, we get them more on the machine and, and, it's kind of sink or swim. Let's see what, what's happening. You've been putting the work in. Let's see if we can get you there. And unfortunately in our facility, cause it's an old barn, we've got about every 12 feet, we've got giant wooden poles. So it's real hard for us to use hard balls to do any kind of live pitching. So we have to kind of rely on the machine to be our gauge against velocity. What do you think in this day and age with everything so mechanical, um, how do you work with players on timing? Oh, that's great. Um, I really, really have been implementing, um, Bobby Tewksbury has, uh, in his book, he talks about, um, the halfway home drill yep. where you, the kid can't start till the ball's about halfway there. I use that. I'll use different cues. Um, I'll actually set up like cones and I'll say, all right, on this one, I want you to think about starting when the ball's a third of the way there or halfway there, 
or three quarters of the way there. Um, we'll shift from front toss. We'll do it from 10 feet away, 15 feet away, 20 feet away. Um, we'll do uh, directional work with the barrel where I'll be like, all right, the next three, hit it to right field, hit these to the left, go up the middle. We'll play little games, you know, that are worth 10 points where they've got to hit right as I'm tossing it. I'll yell, you know, opposite field, pull, change up my, my external cues there. And then on the machine, um, I'm a big fan of randomizing things by putting two or, two or three machines up and just having, you know, one be a curveball, one be a fastball, one be a changeup, and just just letting them try to compete there on the machine with different different velocities and different type of balls, different movement and pitches and things of that nature. Um, and then we'll do a lot of, we do a lot of, I hate to say the term one-legged swings because I don't want Twitter to explode, but <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll do drills. Like I call the one, the flamingo where I haven't started on one leg or we'll do uh, step behinds or we'll do happy Gilmore's. Um, and I'll have them. Sometimes I'll just have a kid. I copied this off Craig Hyatt. I'll just say, Hey, I want you to go, watch a player and I want you to make up your own drill and we're going to come back and we're going to use that drill and front toss. We're going to, you're going to try to hit like that player. And I think there's a lot of value going back to the self-organizing and trying to use a different loading mechanism, trying to use kind of a different style. And, and the player really has to self-organize and time that up depending on when they're getting that front foot down and whatnot. So, you know, there's ways to vary it. You can vary their front foot. You can vary their pacing when they stride and things like that. And you just got to get creative. Uh, so Craig has he'll like give a player a video of an MLB player and just have him copy it. Yeah, I think I, I saw that on Twitter. He'll have his kids go home and 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 you know say, all right, I want you to make a drill off of a player, a random player. So we kind of um, we did that years ago. Years ago, um, was it Tony Bautista? Remember Tony Bautista? Oh with yeah, the, the Blue drill. Jays? He, yeah, he had that um, that real open stance where he was basically squared up to the pitcher. Right. And like we, my dad actually would have kids do that. Like, I mean, this was probably early two thousands. And when I saw Craig Hyatt did that, I kind of remembered when my dad doing that with kids. And so I had my 10 year old daughter do it. Her favorite player is Carlos Santana. So she made up the Carlos Santana drill, which has actually really helped her. Cause now she's got kind of a little big of, bit of a leg kick, you know, that's kind of helped her with her timing. So I, I think it's a great tool. It makes it fun for the kids and it gets them to watch players hit. Kids don't watch enough baseball. They don't watch hitters. They don't watch the game. Forces them to go home. They gives them time to spend on their tablet or whatever, and you know, and then they get to be, get creative and make something up and feel like they, they get a little bit of autonomy in their training. That's a good. That's an interesting point there. So you think that you don't think that kids watch enough baseball? Why do you think that is? You know, I think that everything's so fast paced. Everything's right now, and I even find myself. I, my daughter. She's 10 and she loves going to baseball games. We'll go to as many tribe games as we can every year. And, you know, I'll find myself, you know, when the Indians are in the field or between innings, I'll pull my phone out and she'll look at me be like, what are you doing? We're at a ball game. And I'm like, you know, she checks me a little bit. And I just think that, you know, everything's at our fingertips. And I think kids just, they can't sit down and for three hours at a time and consume the game. And I think there's just so much, you know, information and so much, so many other things for their entertainment value that that I think pull them away from watching the game so unfortunately we've got to create ways to get them to watch players and you know and, and see like this is how they move let's try to replicate that and I think that's another piece going back again to that self-organization they can watch a guy and let's go out and I mean I'm sure you did it when you were a kid let's go hit like 
you know, I remember trying to hit like Barry Bonds and Will Clark and Albert Bell. And I mean, it was, I would try to hit like all of them in the backyard. And I think that was a, you know, probably a big help to me as a kid that probably wasn't an elite level athlete, any, you know, in any sense of the word. You talked about earlier about how you, you do use technology. Um, what are your thoughts on people who are anti-technology? Do you think there's value? There's got to be value in both. Uh, I guess, like, how do you kind of apply them to help players? How do I apply the technology to yeah, help players? Yeah, because, I mean, having it's one thing, but, like, being able to, like, apply it to help players, like, that's the hard part. Yeah, um, I think, it, number first and foremost, I think it's just a good gauge to show a player where they stand compared to their peers. I mean, we have a couple of... Um, we have a couple of books that I've made that have, you know, bat speed, exit velo, um, just just raw data on kids that are 10U, 12U, 14U, high school, college, professionals. And then it gives the players, you know, something to look at. Um, so right off the bat, that's just so, that's just a way to kind of hook the kid in using it with the younger kids. That's kind of how we use it um, with the older kids. I use it to assess them. Number one, like where are we need to know where the older kids are? Like your high school kid, we need to know where you're at because you're going to be going up against kids that are using this stuff probably. And if they're not, then we need to use it to give you an advantage. So for example, I've been working with a group for about 10 weeks now and, and we, we kept it simple. Um, we did bat speed. We did attack angles. We did exit velos. Um, we did, um, launch quickness. And then, you know, about every two weeks I'll retest, um, exit velo or we'll do an exit velo competition and I kind of change it to what the group needs I had one group of girls that I had three girls that every one of their swings was like negative seven negative eight and this was on a tee Whoa. everything was negative so I'm mean, like I told I showed them flat out I go we have one goal in the next six weeks and that's to get you to get rid of this these negative attack angles so we would we would work you know I created a plan every day they came we had a plan that was based exactly on what we were doing. They knew the exact goal. We worked on it. And, um, when we post tested, I mean, they were, they were all, they had all positive swing planes on the tee. And, um, I think another thing that I've noticed is kids will be really inconsistent on a tee. You can put kids on a tee and show them, how are you this inconsistent on a tee? What's going to happen when that ball's coming at you? So, you know, we, we do do a lot of tee work and probably to our fault, we may do a little bit too much, but I get a lot of data on a tee, and then when I go to front toss or when I put them on the machine, I can show them how much their data has either carried over to a more live situation or how much it's regressed and how much work they have to do to get to a position where um, they're doing something that's going to help them in a game. Um, we also use it just – I use it just to kind of see if my programming is working too. Like this summer, we did a whole block of just strength training. And we tested before and after, and I wanted to kind of see, you know, is just our strength training going to increase bat speed? Is it going to increase exit velo? And we had a lot of positive data from that alone. So we use it all kind of ways. Um, but th that's just that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of where we're at right now. Uh, we're looking at expanding that here in the future. We're looking at possibly getting something like 4D or K-Vest and hopefully a Rapsodo camera here shortly. Um, but that, you know, that just depends on how you know, the other needs of the facility. And if I can, if I can convince the powers that be that that's where we need to spend the money, then that's where we'll go. So what, what would be the end goal for, um, the facility? I mean, what, like, what do you, what's the dream? My dream facility would be to have a place where 
we can do group training and one-on-one training and we can have a place. I would love to have a place where it's more like a membership fee and kids can come in and train four five, six days a week. That's, that's my dream. Let's get kids in there that want to go to the next level. Let's start producing that. Let's set up a situation where we can assess kids, where we can differentiate for every kid on what they need. Um, and let's figure out the best way to integrate, you know, training modalities for each kid that's in there. And then let's, let's roll and let's just, let's just have a good time and let's just work our tails off. I mean, I'm into putting work in, I'm into, I'm into outworking. That's the only way I, the only th- way I know anything is just to outwork people. I was never the smartest, biggest, fastest, strongest, but I knew I could work as hard as anybody or more. So that's what I did. And that's kind of what, what that's kind of the attitude I bring to the kids I work with. And I'd love to do that. And I'd love to just be able to have enough information, um, enough confidence in myself to feel like I could work in pro ball if I wanted to. I mean, that's always been my dream was to play or coach in pro ball. And I just, I, you know, I think I just want to be good enough to know that I could do that and I could help a professional athlete. I think that would be my individual. That's kind of what drives me personally, but I just want to create a situation, a facility where kids want to come every day to get better. Would you ever want to work for an organization full time? Oh, I, I, I would. If, if that, if there was a situation where my kids were in college and I could do that and not miss, you know, their stuff, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. Hmm, that's interesting. So if you were to go through with this, uh, so if you, in your dream scenario, would you have to like build another facility, a bigger one? We probably would. Um, we probably would have to build a new facility. Um, and which has been, my wife and I've been kicking that around a little bit, but you know, our, our price range right now is just so low. It's just, it's, it's very inviting for people and it's nice to be able to offer that service. So we'd have to, We'd have to really figure out what we're going to do. I'd hate to just open it up to a giant facility where teams can just come in all the time. I, the, the, the mom and pop feel like we're close. We're a close knit family. And I, and I kind of, I kind of enjoy that, you know, being a team athlete myself, that, that gives me a lot of joy to see that and to hear kids come back to me and to see, you know, we've got several kids that we got a kid in Maryland coaching. We got a kid, um, in Ohio, we get, we get tons of kids that leave and, and after college they end up coaching. So that's to be able to have that and to keep having impacts on kids. I don't even know. That's also, I mean, that's pretty awesome as well. So it, it's just, that's a situation we're kind of in right now. And I think within the next year, we're going to be at a crossroads where we need to figure out where we need to take that business to either grow or to, to keep it status quo. How many kids a week do you work with? Uh, right now, personally, I'm at, um, I'm close to at 30 probably right now. Uh, but that's maybe 35, but I don't know. We're, we're running about between 20 and 30 kids in there five, six days a week. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good amount. Yeah. And we've got a pretty good sized waiting list. So, and, and then those numbers could be bigger by now because we had, we had one of our old old instructors come back and I know he, he could do five hours a night, seven days a week if he wanted to. So if it's just, we've got to really plan because we just don't have the, we don't have the space to have five, six guys going at one time. Yeah. I I completely understand that. What are your thoughts on, on, um, on social media and, and baseball and just kind of hitting Twitter in general? I actually love it. I think it's great. I think when sometimes there's a car crash and we can't look away, 
but there's just, there is really a lot of good, solid information out there. But the problem is, is you got to know what to look for. You know, there's a lot of overgeneralizations and there's a lot of, I don't want to say subtweeting, but sometimes people put stuff down that even I have a difficult time understanding what they're trying to talk about. And then you get, you know, you get coach dad that sees something and they try to implement it to the wrong way to a kid. And I think it can be dangerous. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think the information can be great, but I think we have too many people that are reading it that don't know how to apply it the right way. And I think that in that sense, it can be, you know, pretty dangerous to the development of certain kids. Mm, that's a good point. I like that. Um, it is it is interesting to me because there are there's so much information out there and knowing um, always who to trust or like what who to listen to, who not to listen to. Uh, you have a strength background. Is there anybody you like uh, like to read about um, in regards to just like strength conditioning? Well, I always love Bob Alejo stuff. Um, I've pretty much been enamored with him since I heard him speak in, I think, 2000 four or five, um, at the NSCA baseball, um, seminar. He was the Oakland A strength coach at the time. He's great. Um, my, my best friend, Nick showman, he runs Showtime strength in Newark, Ohio. He's absolutely phenomenal. Um, he's had some of the Ohio state girls down there. He does a great job. Um, Zach Dakin from uh, TCU phenomenal. I love how he just talks about movement. Um, oh man, there's, uh, Steven Oster has some great stuff on there. There's just there's a lot of good ones. Those guys come to mind that I really seem to gravitate towards what they talk about, what they post. I just seem to really like their content, like what what they have to say. You know, Bob Alejo gives kind of a he's not old school at all. I mean, that guy's up in the times, but he gives a real, real good perspective on how to, you know, use what's been used forever and blend it with what's being used today. So those are those are great guys. Um all the driveline guys, they put out tremendous stuff when they do their strength stuff. All their stuff's just top notch. So I, I Eric Cressy, Eric Cressy is another one. I mean, I could probably go on, but those are just if, if you're on Twitter and you want to condition baseball athletes, uh, you need to follow all those guys that I mentioned. Uh, staying on the strength side, what do you what do you do like when when an athlete comes into your facility? Is there do you do like a movement screen on them, or how do you? kind of assess each player? I have a movement screen um, that I'll use occasionally um, with kids. But what I'll do is we do a dynamic warm-up when we come in. So I pretty much get kids right into the dynamic warm-up. Um, we'll, do some, we'll do some tissue work. You know, just I'd like to teach the kids how to do tissue work no matter what they are. I think it's important. So I teach them that. And then we do a dynamic warm-up where – we do a series of just basic movement type stuff where we're bear crawling and lunging and reverse lunging and squatting and basic stuff like jumping jacks. And it gives me a real good sense on how a kid moves and what they need. I mean, I can look for knee valgus. I can look for, you know, the foot and ankle everting or everting. I can look for core instability. It's pretty easy to see that stuff um, through that kind of dynamic stuff. That way I'm not, I, you know, I don't put a kid through, you know, an eight or nine or 10 or even 13, 14 year old through a, a, a movement assessment and I like looking at them and checking it down. I probably should do that more, but I can get a good sense on what they need to do. And, um, just through that dynamic warm up and by doing some planks and pal off presses and stuff like that. And then from there we just differentiate. And, um, I got a file on Google I keep and 
take notes on everything and I go through there and then I differentiate for the next day and we go along. I always have a plan. Like if we have a six week group or a 12 week group, I always have a plan. And by week two of that plan is completely thrown out the door, <laughs> but it gives me a template. Yeah. It gives me a template on how to differentiate as we move along through the course of our training program. So the majority of what you do is group lessons. I know you said you're, you've been talking to you. Is it through like a six week group lesson? Like, is that how long each group lesson goes for? I, I like eight weeks, but I kind of got stuck on the six week because high school baseball in Ohio starts February 18th. And I gave the kids a week off um, around Christmas time. And that put me six weeks right till the right till opening uh, practice for tryouts for baseball, softball. So we're, we're kind of rolling with six weeks. And I think that's probably what I'm going to have to do looking at the calendar this year. And um, <clears throat> as I look to next year's planning, I'll try probably try to have to figure out I like eight weeks, you know, six weeks. I've seen a lot of growth in kids, you know, in even even the data stuff we've taken for skills like bat speed and exit velo and launch angle and quickness or attack angle rather and and quickness to pitch. But I think eight weeks is eight to 12 weeks, I think, is where the perfect kind of the perfect area for any kind of strength or training program is because it gives you the first week or so to assess you can assess a little bit on the back we back we the back end and then it gives you a good you know two three um meso cycles where you can or micro cycles where you can kind of split things up into three four week periods and get a lot out of the athletes one, one of the last things that i kind of wanted to talk about i know me and you have talked about online is just kind of the sequence right like what what's the correct sequence like of this swing i know we, there's k vest out there and some other things and I feel like it's going to be different for each guy, you know, how efficient can they be um, with the body that they have. What are your thoughts on like what a correct sequence would be? Well, I think if we're just looking at a textbook term of sequencing, it's probably going to be, you know, you're going to hopefully lead with, you know, the, the legs or pelvis and then your torso is going to come through and then your arms are going to come through and then you're going to deliver your implement, whether that's, a baseball bat, a baseball, a, a javelin, you know, you're going to have probably that, that initial movement of the body. And then when you get your blocking off of the league leg, probably the hips should come through, then the torso, then the arm and, and then the implement. But I mean, really, um, I think, you know, um, Chad Longworth and, and Ryan Johansson talk about it too on their podcast. I, well, do we really know that that's the right sequence? I mean, you you brought it to my attention that the the greats or the the elite now aren't aren't in sequence, right? You know, so I think that's where we have to let an elite level mover move. You know, we can't take the athlete out of the ball player, and I think that's what for years that's what we did. That's how I learned to hit when I was in middle school. I learned to, to not be athletic, to be a robot. You know, and it took, I had to unlearn that when I got into college. And once I unlearned that, then that kind of unlocked my power. And, you know, and luckily my dad was a logical thinker enough and figured it kind of figured it out on his own that, you know, Hey, maybe what we were originally teaching isn't right. And he kind of started to make the change, you know, 20 plus years ago. And that, that spun us in the right direction, but we've got to let kids be athletes. We've got to let elite lovers. We've got to let elite movers move. And if they move out of sequence and they're successful, then we just need to figure out what their biggest flaw is maybe and kind of minimize that flaw while maximizing their 
greatest strengths. Yeah, I mean, the one that really threw me off, who I thought for sure was was Mookie Betts, and him, him being out of sequence um, when he was hooked up to the K-Vest was, was pretty wild to me, because... And that's why sometimes video can be really deceiving because you wouldn't really necessarily pick that up right away on video. Right. Um, but like I you mean, said, I think go ahead. We, we could probably both agree that if, you know, if somebody rolled out of the woodwork and said, I guarantee if you do X, Y, Z, all of your batters can hit like Mookie Betts or swing like Mookie Betts. I think we'd both sign up for that. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, Right, hundred percent, exactly. But but like you just talked about, it's if you know a hitter like that, he's that successful. Like yeah, I mean technically he could, you know, judging by what I've seen, he could he could be more efficient. But maybe by him trying to become more efficient, he actually becomes worse too. Oh yeah, sense. there's gonna be yeah, there's gonna be, for lack of a better term, a learning curve there where you're gonna try to change somebody there that's an elite performer and they're gonna get worse and it's you know, is that the best for them? Probably not. Now, if he starts to struggle later in his career and maybe has to make a change, then that maybe that's the time to do it. But, you know, it, it, there's just so much variability in hitting. If we're looking at a K vest on a kid hitting on a tee, it might be one thing. But one of the things I like to bring up to kids a lot is look at Mike Trout, watch his swing, watch how they're, he's got different swings depending on where the pitch is. I mean, that dude's got probably the best variability in baseball. Yep. I mean, his back foot does something different every swing, you know, and you, you can't tell me that dude's not moving efficiently when he's hitting the ball 450 feet. Right. No, he's you're just, right. I mean, best player in baseball. And now, he, now I have seen, I have seen his sequence and it, it is perfect. And really? um, apparently what they, what I've tried to do anyway with, with the K vest is, is like you just said before, it's really important to um, differentiate or just, you know, have a baseline. Okay. What is, what is your testing? Is it off a T? Is it going to be off of, so I, I will do actually, I will test them a little bit off a T and then I'll do, um, some soft toss or BP, but I actually, and then I'll just kind of just go back and look at it. But I actually, I I've kind of, will only do the testing right now. And I don't know if this is the right way, but I'm just going to be consistent with it and just see, you know, with, with all the testing I do with, with blast motion, hit tracks, everything is I'm going to go just pitching machine, um, down the middle, fastballs, like 60, 65 miles an hour from 50 feet away. Again, most of the kids I work with, um, that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive that when Trout was um, on the K-Vest, it, it was a fastball machine. I know when Mookie was on, it was um, live BP at Fenway. So And J.D. Martinez, too. He was also out of sequence. So, um like that's a great point you brought up. You know what's the testing it needs. And I'm not necessarily saying that the machine is the best way to go, but I just thought for for me it made more sense. That's as close to game velocity as we can get. So you know why not just take that and and kind of run with it. But maybe you know maybe regular BP's better. I don't know for sure. I think the biggest thing with that would be to standardize your approach so you can learn as you're you know you can learn along with the athlete, you know, preferentially staying one step ahead of them. And you can take the information and data you collect and figure out, you know, if we're working here, this is how I can standardize it. Like you're doing with that pitching machine. I think that's a great way to do it because, you know, when we're, we're trying to teach, whether we're trying to change a kid's sequence or we're trying to change anything in a swing, I, we've got to figure out what's the best way to do it. What's the best modality of training to do it. Is it a T is it front flips? Is it BP? Is it a machine? 
you know, let's, let's let them be successful in the change. And then let's make that situation harder and harder and harder and more difficult to see if those adjustments, um, follow, you know, when, when the situation gets more dynamic and more difficult, are they able to continue to maintain those or do they fall back into old habits that are going to, you know, not be beneficial for their performance? Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, I, ideally, I mean, the best way to, to, to really know is, is to hook them up during the, during a game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, and then you're going to, you know, that, that'd be, that'd be very interesting to see sequencing in a game between inside, outside fastballs, high, low fastballs, change up curveballs, sliders, you know, and it's, I mean, we, there's just so much out there that we don't have answers to. And, and that's kind of the cool thing is we're just kind of always searching. And I think the people that provide the best content, the people that are the best instructors and coaches and teachers are always searching. They're never satisfied with their own performance and they're never satisfied with the answers they have. And they're just trying to get all the information they can, trying to decipher that and trying to integrate it to their players to the best of their ability to give their players what's best for them. Well, well said. Kyle, I can, I'm making a prediction right now. My prediction is eventually one day you will be working for the Indians. I think in the player development, somehow, some way, it's going to happen. I think you definitely got the knowledge. Like I said, I've been following you for a long time on Twitter, and um, you're doing some really, really great stuff. And like I said, that's my prediction. Um, I'm staying, staying hometown for you. I think it's going to be with the Indians. They're, they're kind of on the forefront of all the – um, nuances um, in the game and um, I'm calling it here first hey man I appreciate it I appreciate all the uh, positive vibes you're sending my way and I uh, love what you're doing and every day I look forward to seeing your content I appreciate it man just trying to keep up with you know with you you know you <laughs> you know more about the body than I do and that's why I'm trying to always just keep you know continue to learn and take new classes and things like that and it's so it, it helps me understand the swing more and um it's just like you said, it's just, it's always learning. That's right. We'll keep doing it. One of these days I got to get down to Cincinnati so we can meet face to face. Absolutely. Hey, we'll get you on the KVS, man. We'll see what your sequence is. That's awesome. <laughs> I'd love it.